The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 854 for Monday, January 25th, 2021. the Mac Observers, Mac Geek Gab, the show where we try to take everything that you send in, your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. You send all those in to feedback at MacGeekGab.com, and then we mix them all together into an agenda that uh, that is geared for us to have an f- interesting, fun conversation where each of us, all of us, him, me, you, we each, individually and collectively, Learn at least five new things together every week. Sponsors for this episode include MaxSales.com, a couple new sponsors, uh, Babbel at B-A-B-B-E-L.com, CandidCo.com slash M-G-G, KittyPooClub.com with promo code M-G-G, and Headspace.com slash M-G-G. We'll talk more about all, all of those and each of those later in the show. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. I don't hear you, John. I think you muted yourself, my friend. Yes, I did. Ah, there um, he is. Well, that's a and good here, start. In Fair, and here in Fairfield, Connecticut, where I'm pretty sure I heard Dave say feedback at MacGeekApp.com. This is John F. Brock. I did say feedback at MacGeekApp.com. We need you to organize your setup so that when you mute yourself, you don't hear yourself in your ears. Because that is a recurring problem, right? Like when I mute myself, I can't hear myself when I talk. And so finding some method to the workflow so that when you hit mute, it, it stops you from hearing yourself. Then you'll know because otherwise we're the only ones that know. Uh, Speaking of knowing things, Todd starts us off with quick tips. Todd says, uh, I'm running sound source, but this has nothing to do with sound source. He says, I noticed today that if I hold down the option key, and hit the sound up or sound down key on my keyboard, the system sound preference pane opens. This holds true on my MacBook touch bar sound virtual keys as well. So that's true. Yeah, you can, you can get the, uh, you can get the sound preference pane open just by option, uh, option and sound key on your Apple keyboard. It might work with your third party keyboards too. I don't know, but certainly with the Apple keyboard, um, that's a quick, quick way to get there. Doesn't, doesn't work on my Logitech. So. Okay. That doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. Logitech tends to do their own thing. So yeah, that, that would mm-hmm. make sense. Yeah. All right. Um, I noticed speaking of option clicking, we talked in recent shows about how in Catalina, you can option click the notification center dropdown to enable a 24 hour, um, clock on your do not disturb. Of course, there is no notification center dropdown in uh, Big Sur, but what there is, is the clock. And so if you option click on Big Sur's clock, it will turn on do not disturb, but it turns it on. Uh, it doesn't do the, the 24 hour clock. It's just on. So a little more dangerous. However, if you click on control center and do not disturb in Big Sur, 
you can then set it for an hour. Uh, I think 24 hours. I don't have this machine is in Big Sur yet. Uh, so I can't tell you as we're doing it. But but you've got several options from which you can choose. But uh, but option clicking on Big Sur's clock is the shortcut to enable do not disturb. Just don't forget about it, because otherwise you mm-hmm. like me might find yourself three days later wondering, why am I not getting notifications from anything on this computer? So I'm thinking about writing uh, some sort of triggerable thing, probably keyboard maestro where maybe like every morning at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. So just so I get it before I come to my desk, it it un uh, it turns off. Do not disturb no matter what on my iMac in the office, just so I know I'm starting the day fresh. In fact, I, that's I'm definitely going to do that. Hopefully I remember. So, oh, OK. Yeah, I tried this one. Actually, I think what it does is it grays out the time so you can visually see that. It's engaged. So that makes sense as to why I would not have noticed it. I, I continue to like to use the, um, the clock that I get with, uh, iStat menus because it, it shows me, you know, more stuff. And so since you can't get rid of big Sur's menu bar clock, what you can do Mm -hmm. is, uh, turn it from digital to analog. And so as an, as an analog clock, it's just a very, it's a single icon, I I guess I didn't mm-hmm. notice that it was grade versus not grade because I don't generally use it. So, yes, yeah. All right, cool. And Guy Searle in uh, in our Facebook uh, thread says, uh, "All I see is the Do Not Disturb Moon icon in the menu bar. Change no other visual option that I see. So maybe that maybe you're doing the same thing with the clock that I am, Guy. So, thank you for that. Good craziness, though. That's you know." Things we change, right? We're humans. We, we, um, intellectually, we love change. Emotionally, we hate change. It's, you know, it's change bad. All right. Uh, while we're on the subject of menu bars, let's let Bill share a quick tip. Hello, John and Dave. I am a longtime listener, but have not been keeping as current as I should. I do have a tip to share. I recently upgraded to a MacBook Pro, 13-inch, last of the Intel processors, because the SSD in my MacBook Air gave out and I needed a functioning machine quickly. I use an external monitor in addition to the built-in monitor. On the Air, running Catalina, I would have the menu bar showing on both monitors, making the trip to the menu bar short. But on the MacBook Pro running Big Sur, it only showed on one monitor. I searched Apple support unsuccessfully. I chatted with Apple support, who suggested a restart and a reset of various things, which might have been useful if I were not seeing anything on the external, but made no difference as to the menu bar. I called Apple support after doing the various resets. He suggested futzing with the display preferences, turning on and off mirroring, which made no difference. Finally, while on the phone, I tried a different system preference, and this was the solution. Under Mission Control, check displays have separate spaces. This is the key. You have to log out and back in, but when you do, you'll have a menu bar on the top of both monitors. The active menu bar is in black text, the inactive in gray. You may have already recovered this tip, but if not, give it a try. A menu bar at the top of each monitor means a lot less mouse or trackpad action is needed. Cheers. Thanks, Bill. You are absolutely right. 
Oh, sorry. Uh, I thought the comment was over. Uh, but thank you, Bill. Yes, you are absolutely right that that one byproduct of checking and and just to, for clarity, it's system preferences, mission control, and then there's a checkbox. Displays have separate spaces. One byproduct of that is exactly what you what you said, Bill. That you get menu bars on the top of both screens. One another really nice thing is that when you go full screen with a window, uh, it only goes full screen for that screen. So your other screen stays in windowed mode and with whatever apps you want up. And of course, because they have separate spaces, you can swipe around in different spaces on different screens without affecting all of your screens. Uh, the displays have separate spaces. Behavior is default now. But it didn't used to be. And it takes for those of us that, that came up uh, in, you know, a time when it was a menu bar on one screen. It, it is a bit of an adaptation. I made it earlier this year as I was watching one of my kids use multiple monitors and was like swiping through spaces on one and going full screen and back and forth. And it's like, oh, OK, wait a minute. I'm missing out on all of this functionality. And it's way better um, to, to be able to to have all of that. And and having the menu bar there, while at first was a bit of a, I thought it was a bit of a distraction. I like you, Bill. I completely find it so nice to be able to just go to the menu bar no matter where my mouse is. So yeah, it's good. Good tip. Have you switched to that yet, John? Or are you still on the the single space for all displays? Um, I guess single space. Do you have menu bars at the top of all of your screens, or only one screen? <laughs> no, just. Just the one in front of me. I, I recommend Not, don't uncheck or, to the side. Don't check the box now because you, it requires a logout if you're if when you change that setting. Mm. But I, I recommend giving it a try and see how you like it because it it you know I had resisted it for a long time because it was like well I'm used to it this way and uh, there's no reason to change and then as soon as I did it, it was like oh this I need should have done this a long time ago <laughs> so yeah yeah. Cool. Thank you, Bill. Good little discussion. I like these discussions. It's good. Uh, Jacob will take us to our next quick tip here on uh, our daily observations podcast earlier this week. And I'll find a, a link to it. Um, Kelly and the crew were talking about different Apple Watch tips. And one thing that we noticed was that on um, the on the watch. And it really doesn't matter if you have a newer series five or series six, which have the always on or a prior watch, which is not always on. Uh, but in theater mode, your screen is not always on no matter what your watch is. Right. And so theater mode, the idea is you're in a theater or somewhere where you don't want the light of your watch distracting you or others. So great. Right. And it, it turns it off no matter what. Well, the crown on your watch uh, will allow you to, from zero, bring the brightness of the display up. So if you want to just check the time, if you roll the crown, you'll get your watch face starting to light up, but very dimly. So it's different than tapping it where it comes up full brightness. So that's cool. And uh, and I think Kelly and the crew covered that. What Jacob adds to that is if you press the crown or use the screen, it will stay dimmed at that level. So you roll it up to whatever you want. Then press the crown or swipe around on the screen, do whatever you're going to do on your watch. It stays at that dimmed level and then it goes back to sleep, you know, on a on a timer like it normally would when you're done in an activity timer. 
It doesn't remember that, though. So when you come back after theater mode, your brightness is back wherever you would normally have it. So that's a pretty handy little thing to, like, ratchet it up. If you're in a movie theater or something or even, a you know, wherever, you need to do something quick on your watch. Just roll it up, keep it at real, real dim levels and mess around and then just let it go. So thank you, Jacob. That's a good one. I like what the, I like when we find these little things that Apple clearly thought about but doesn't really spend a lot of time telling people about it sort of offsets the things that, you know, frustrate us about Apple's UIs, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you, I know you don't have a, a watch yet, John, but <clears throat> no, I'm still mechanical, mechanical quartz, mechanical quartz. Okay. Watch. Okay. So yeah, yeah, we would call that, I think in the, in the horology world, we just call that quartz because mechanical implies <clears throat> a, a, a mechanical, like movement as opposed to a quartz mm -hmm. movement. Like quartz and mechanical are, are two separate things, I think. Mm -hmm. If you ask the the watch geeks. But this isn't watch geek gab, though I do believe I still have that URL. Um Harvey, we haven't done anything with it yet. Maybe 2021 is the year. Um okay. Harvey shares a tip about airplane mode. He says uh I knew that if you turn on airplane mode on your iDevices that you then go, uh, you can then go to your control panel and individually turn back on Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, or cellular while still remaining in airplane mode. This works well if you're on a plane and still want to use Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, of course. What I didn't know is that once you enable something in airplane mode, it becomes the default for airplane mode the next time from then on until you change it while you're in airplane mode. I use airplane mode overnight to save battery and do not want either Wi-Fi nor cellular to search out networks, etc. while I am asleep. I was quite surprised to find out this morning that while my phone was still on airplane mode when I woke up, both Wi-Fi, cellular, and, of course, Bluetooth were still on. I got caught, and I thought listeners would like to know. Thanks, for thanks Harvey. That's, um, yeah, you're right about that. It, it, I had, it took me a while to figure that out, too. I, you know... Got on a plane once, turned on Wi-Fi, turned on airplane mode, then turned on Wi-Fi because I wanted to use the Wi-Fi and that was fine. And then, uh, you know, the next time I went to turn it on, I was like, how does it know to use Wi-Fi? And like, like you, Harvey, I deduced that it was it was not knowing it was just persisting the change. If you experience that, too, John, as your your. Um, would you would is that has that been your experience as well? Um. Hmm. I haven't haven't <laughs> haven't been on airplane in a while. So okay. All right. No, I I usually don't fiddle with that. You don't turn on airplane mode. Um. Usually, no. No, I just. You don't use airplane mode and when you're on a plane. Oh, on a plane, of course. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But, okay, it's been a while since it's oh, been a while okay. since I've been on a plane. Okay, <laughs> like wait, wait, what's going on here? <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Do you use the Wi-Fi when yeah, you're? Yeah, I mean, normally. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, normally I have you know all of the things on. Um, sure. Cellular Wi-Fi and and Bluetooth and uh, when I'm out and about and we have. Um, you know, public Wi-Fi, so um, 
or up of from from my ISP. So usually when I'm out and about, I'm near one of those. So it uses that instead of a sure. cellular. But you're not in airplane mode in any of those times to turn off some of those no. radios. Right. Yeah. OK. All right. OK. Yeah, I'm pretty sure no. it's a common thing, as Harvey describes, that that whatever radios you have enabled while in airplane mode uh, persist the next time you turn on airplane mode. So. Uh, which is a little bit, mm-hmm. a little bit weird um, that, you know, airplane mode, I mean, the, impl- the assumption would be that airplane mode turns off all your radios. It does not. It mm-hmm. turns off some of them and then you can turn some of those back on. But, you know, some of those things stay on anyway. All right. We got some cool yeah, stuff. found. In, um, oh, in other news, um, I saw my 5G indicator come on the other day. Hey, that's good. So they're so they're starting to roll it out. Good. Um, yeah, I mean they they said they were rolling it out in New England, but um, uh, not everywhere. So, and you're still on Verizon, is that right? It, yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it wasn't very fast. Yeah. Yeah. Check the latency. Like, that's the that that's what I've noticed to mm-hmm. be the real key between five G mm-hmm. and LTE is consistently. If I'm on 5G, my latency is is like low no matter what, whereas on LTE, it can really waver depending on whatever the factors are. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on, on Mint, which uses, you know, T-Mobile's LTE and 5G towers uh, here, in, mm-hmm. here in Durham anyway, we've got – I have 5G maybe – yeah, I think I talked about it in the last show. It, it, like I'm at full LTE, no problem here at the house. If I go to the other side of the neighborhood, that's where I start to pick up 5G. And of course, then in, in our mm-hmm. even downtown in our little town is is all 5G. But yeah, everywhere I drive in the car, um, 5G, at least in this area, mm-hmm. which is, uh, on you know, with, with um, Mint through T-Mobile. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's good. All right. We got some uh, some cool stuff's found. The uh, the next thing I want to do, though, is I want to talk about our uh, our sponsors, if that uh, works out for you, John. We good? Please. All right. Well, someday, probably relatively soon, we're going to start traveling again, doing all those things. And that makes now a really good time to start learning a language for the place that you're going to go visit. Right. And I don't speak French. Right. And I am fixing that. With Babbel, our sponsor here, and also the number one selling language learning app. Because one of my goals was to make sure that the next time I went up to Canada, I understood and could speak a lot more French than I could the last time I went to Canada. Then Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. Uh, it, you know, they've got an app, but the website actually works great. That's where I started my lessons, but then you migrate them to the app or I migrated them to the app. You could do whatever you like. It works really well because Babbel's courses are designed with practical real world conversations in mind, things that I'll get to use in everyday life. And you can do the same thing. Babbel's lessons were created by over a hundred different language experts. So they don't use just AI for their lesson plans. They're actually created by people that are experts in this stuff. And you can choose from 14 different languages, of course, French, Spanish, Italian, German, lots of others. And right now, when you purchase a three month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. So that's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code MGG. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com 
code MGG for an extra three months for free. Babbel, language for life. Our thanks to Babbel for sponsoring this episode. Next up is OWC. You know, I had this in the episode as a cool stuff found recently, and now we get to talk about it here, too. It's their new Thunderbolt dock because it's the got their new Thunderbolt hub in it and then other stuff, too. So you've got four fully functional Thunderbolt 4 ports for your computer, right? And all those Thunderbolt ports also support USB devices and monitors. So they are USB-C ports, Thunderbolt capable, obviously, but also just fully can do everything that a port that looks like that, that's a Thunderbolt port should be able to do. Plug it all in and you're good to go. Powerful charging capabilities in this dock, right? So you've got 90 watts of power delivery in there. There's four USB ports so you can connect and charge through USB. Uh, you can manage all kinds of additional devices. Obviously, you can connect more storage, but also up to two 4K displays or one 5K, 6K, 8K display or other accessories, whatever you want. Gigabit Ethernet is in there when you need it. You can access photos and movies via the SD card reader that goes up to 312 megabytes per second. They've got a headphone jack and a mic jack. It's a combo audio port on there. And you can customize the illumination for your work setting with their adjustable LED. So you got to go check this thing out. It is available for order now at MaxSales.com for $249. And our thanks to OWC for sponsoring this episode. Hey, are you unhappy with your smile? Because you don't have to be. Thousands of people have used Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable, and practically invisible aligners to help straighten their teeth. And now they love their smiles. Just like Cameron from Nashville says, once I started Candid, my life changed completely. I started going to the gym more. I started eating better. I even have better dental hygiene. My goal for my wedding was perfect teeth and Candid got me where and Candid is here to help straighten your teeth so you can fall in love with your smile, too. Your treatment is prescribed and closely monitored remotely, which is good these times, right, by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. You'll have the same quality of care you'd get from in-office orthodontists, but you get to do it from the comfort and convenience and safety of your own home. Like I said, they use orthodontists, not general dentists. And with Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan is with you from start to finish, so you don't have to wonder how you're doing. Average Candid treatment is just six months, and you'll start seeing results way before that. And it costs thousands less than traditional braces. Become your best you. Start straightening your teeth right now, because you can save $75 on Candid's starter kit. Go to CandidCO.com slash MGG, and then make sure you use code MGG. That's CandidCO.com slash MGG, code MGG. Take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. CandidCO.com slash MGG, code MGG. And our thanks to Candid for sponsoring this episode. Cool stuff found time, John. Uh, Andrew will get us there to uh, to go. He says, um, I've used, I know you guys were talking about finding duplicates. Uh, I have used Gemini or Gemini 2 from MacPaw, and it looks like it could be very useful for people who have duplicate files on their systems. Uh, so there you go. Cool stuff found. He says, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's on set app. So if you're on setup, you're good to go. And of course, same people that make clean my Mac X too. So yeah, Gemini, what do you use for duplicate files, John? Um, 
you know, I just verified this. Um, I've had this for quite a while. Tidy up. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And uh, let's see. Uh, Tidy up five is the latest. And I just launched it on uh, Big Sur and it seems to work. Okay. Um, and it can, it can find uh, either duplicate files, uh, duplicate photos, duplicate music. Um, it's pretty good. That's good. It's been out for a real long time. Yeah, yeah. They've been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. That's from Hyperbolic. Yeah, for sure. That's great. That's good. I like it. All right. Uh, let's see. Gene has, Gene has a couple for us. Gene's first one is, he says, you know, for 29 bucks, the Roku, Roku Premiere has AirPlay 2 built in. Says this is a really great, inexpensive way to add AirPlay 2 to your entertainment center. And in addition, right now, there is a promotion that offers six months of free Apple TV Plus. So uh, he says better than a used airport express, in my opinion. I'll say, yeah, that's that's really smart. Um, I looked on Amazon this morning and it was like 35 bucks, I think. But even still, like whether it's 29 or 35, that looks good to me. That's the great way to add AirPlay 2 to your setup. Uh, yeah, I like it. I like hmm. it. Apple's done a good job with AirPlay too. I, I've, I've been more and more impressed. Less so on their own Apple TV. That is the one device that I have, that I find completely and wholly unreliable for AirPlay 2. But for, but really? yeah, yeah. I, I have an Apple TV in my, you know, in my entertainment center, as I would imagine many of us do. And I've also got, um, uh, my Sonos, my Sonos Arc is AirPlay 2. That's the soundbar that I have, right? So I can send sound directly to that. And then I've also got uh, our LG TV has AirPlay 2 capabilities. And um, I flawlessly can send to the Sonos Arc, flawlessly can send to the LG TV, and sending AirPlay 2 to our Apple TV it works maybe 15% of the time, completely unreliable for us. And it always has been that way. Mm. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Maybe it's something about our network, but the fact that AirPlay works on every other device that's literally in the same area of the house tells me eh, probs, not our network. So I don't know what it is, but well, do you, do you use Yeah, it? I, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, every now and then I have, uh, some, uh, music videos that I like to rock out to sure. um, on my MacBook Pro. And so I'll uh, load it up, choose uh, choose my Apple TV as the destination, and the, the video and the sound all seem to be okay. It just works. Okay. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what I would assume it would do, right? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Apple. It should just work. But, yeah, I don't know what the deal is. Um, and it's been true... For both of our Apple TVs, our our Gen three mm -hmm. like non App Store one, whatever that was, maybe it was Gen two, and uh, and then our current one, which is not the 4K, but it's a you know it's got the App Store and all that on it. But yeah, it's um, huh? Yeah. You know what I mm -hmm. should try? So AirPlay two lets you target multiple devices, right? Mm -hmm. That's one of the features of it. Yes, I have not yet. Because, so I have the Apple TV. I also have uh, Airport Express, which both I think the Airport yeah. Express supports AirPlay too. It does. I should try playing something and target both. I, I have not done that yet. I just in the back of my mind, I'm just wait. Can I do that now? Yeah, 
I, you should be able to. And it, in theory, like the, it, like a Sonos system, it, it plays it in sync, right? So you, you know, you have mm-hmm. your audio everywhere. Yeah. That, that should work. Um, yeah. I'm curious to hear if it, if it does let us know, you know, mm-hmm. um, all right, good. Are we good on that one? Anything else to, mm-hmm. to add? Okay. Uh, Gene also has a, a second one. Lyrics X from the Mac App Store is free and works great. If you don't have an Apple Music subscription, this is one way to present lyrics in a karaoke style window while music plays. So, yeah, Apple Music subscribers can often, I don't know if always, but certainly often get uh, lyrics to display in that sort of scrolling karaoke thing. Whereas uh, if, you know, if you don't have that Lyrics X from the Mac App Store, um, I don't I think you can also get it directly from the dev, but but we, we'll put a link to the Mac App Store version. So thanks, Gene. For both of those, actually, that's pretty good. Are you 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 were an Apple Music subscriber for a little bit, John? Right when it was free for you, is that right? No. Oh, okay. I thought you were. All right. Well, I got. I think I told you I got a activation notice, and they said, "Oh, yeah, thanks for uh, you know signing up for Apple Music." And it's like I didn't sign up for Apple Music. That's right. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I forgot. <laughs> Oh, well, but you got, they credited yeah. you for that, right? They took care of you for all that. Yeah. And where is it? I think I have an issue. Uh, I'll try to remember. The, there, there's a generalized URL where you can report uh, problems like this. Okay. And uh, yeah, no, they took care of it. Um, yeah, I think I told you it, it was attributed to a machine called old MacBook Pro, which right. I no longer own. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't know how that ha- how that happened. Cool. In uh, in the chat room, we have a cool stuff found edition. It's something called H block. Uh, Alex says if you use homebrew. Or if you have Homebrew installed, please check out HBlock, one of the coolest pieces of software I've found. We have a link for it. We'll put in the show notes, of course. HBlock gathers a list of nasty domains and adds them to your Etsy hosts file to block them so that your Mac uh, does not use them and and keeps you from getting there. Ah, that's pretty cool. Okay, I see. So you you install this and then uh, run it in some capacity and... Uh, as I visit the website for HBlock, it is telling me you are not currently using HBlock. So my guess is that they add their own domain to it as a sort of a honeypot test. And if you do a lookup for HBlock, you get one version if you're on it and another if you're not. And uh, and that's that way they know. I can tell you if it's working. So, yeah, that's pretty good. And, of course, it's all you can visit HBlock.com and, and check out all of the things that it's going to add. Of course, you could look at them in your Etsy host file too, but, um, but that way, you know, you know, if you have, if you have a problem, <laughs> you know, so that's great. Thanks, Alex. Uh, you can run H block with a flag to revert to the original. All you do is type in H block and it updates the list. Ah, oh, that's great. Okay. That makes sense. Great. Cool. Thank you, Alex. I love this real time stuff. It's great. Uh, all right. Any thoughts on that, John, before we, no, move on. Okay. Elliot, uh, last week we were talking about ways for updating apps. And speaking of the command line, uh, Elliot says, uh, uh, it's called DI for 
download and install. TJ Luoma has a command line script system on GitHub that I'd first heard about years ago from one of David Sparks podcasts. That's awesome. The DI script for each app checks for updates via Sparkle, the standardized XML based RSS feed that includes all the information needed to check. The scripts are then compared to the latest version. According to Sparkle, uh, they, they compare the Sparkle version to the installed version and download and install the newer version if there is one. Oh, that's great. So it's a, okay, so Sparkle is a, uh, uh, I mean, I know Elliot explained it, but Sparkle is a library uh, or a framework that developers can include in their app to make software updates way easier so that they don't have to write their own software update system. They just embed Sparkle. They, I think they pay a license fee to the Sparkle folks and then uh, and then they use it. So, but it only triggers when you launch the app or when the app tells Sparkle to trigger. This effectively runs Sparkle on all of your apps at once, which could be a whole lot more convenient to you than finding out, hey, I just launched. Do you want me to update? And it's like, no, I want to use you. Please don't update right now, right? So that's pretty good. All right, cool. We'll put that in there. I don't know if that's installable via Homebrew or not, but it is a command line thing. So very cool. That's cool. Have you messed with DI or any of the the command line updaters that we've been talking about? No. Hmm. All right. Cool. Um, I got to check out Specs new uh, Presidio Click Flip, which is their AirPods Pro case. I've used other AirPods Pro cases from from folks over the years. And this one, I, like, it's cool. It, you got to check it. You got to go look at the website. It's it's a, a multi-piece um uh, device case, if you will, that fits over the bottom of your AirPods Pro and the t- uh, AirPods Pro case and the top of it. And it has like this little slider along the side that really keeps everything locked into place, but also makes it super easy to open. It's it's it, it's it's engineered very, very well as would as it, it's not a surprise given that it's from spec. But at first when I looked at it, I'm like, oh, this thing looks very clunky and like that. No. But as soon as I put it on, it was like, oh, it, it just becomes one with my AirPods Pro. And it's got a little uh, D-ring cl- clip so you can like clip it. Uh, I, well, you could clip it to piece on your body or your backpack or whatever so that it just stays right there. And Qi charging for the AirPods Pro case works through the uh, the this case. So it doesn't it doesn't stop that. So, yeah, I, I was pretty impressed with with this case. So very, very well engineered, very comfortable to hold in the hand, you know, all of those things that, uh, that, you know, a case, a case should do. So yeah. Click flip. There you go. Um, so what does uh, the AirPods pro come with Apple's case, right? Yes. This is a case for Apple's case. This, this fits around oh you put apple's case okay all right so it gives you extra protection and uh, okay okay yeah it's got um it's an ip ipx5 dust protection rating it gives you a drop rating right right. to four feet it's got um it's got that microband stuff on the surface so it um the, the keeps bacteria and you know viruses and all the nasties off of it and and all that good mm-hmm. stuff so yeah 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 that's pretty pretty good so yeah 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 because oh in, interesting yeah so it, and i've seen this happen to myself if i drop my airpods they are very likely to pop open and then of course you know your airpods go flying mm-hmm. and and then you know good luck 
So this, it, like I said, it locks, but it, it's with this sliding mm-hmm. lever. So it's like the lock isn't ever in my way, if that makes sense. It unlocks exactly when I want it to without any extra effort, but it stays locked the rest of the time. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, all right. So we have a not cool stuff found here. Uh, more of a PSA from Kurt. <laughs> um, Kurt says, uh, I just wanted to thank you guys for the heads up on Mac Geek Out when you were discussing uh, drives. Years ago, you were pretty positive on Seagate's Iron Wolf series because of the monitoring features. Hearing about Dave's poor reliability experience with them more recently steered me towards the higher end, the higher grade although less expensive exos drives for my true nas box yeah you bet man that's it's what we do we um we we want to help so he says however along those same lines the caution you also in that conversation mentioned western digital red drives in passing i wanted to remind or let everyone know that wd has been a pretty scummy player in the nas drive market as of late They quietly slipped shingled magnetic recording technology, SMR technology drives, into their WD Red product line early in 2020 with disastrous results for consumers. Uh, And there's an Ars Technical article article about this. There's actually a few that we'll link to. Uh, And I'll explain what this is as best I understand it. But uh, I'll I'll finish Kurt's comments first. He says, because there is a solution. After an apology that wasn't really an apology, WD split their red line into a third segment. There was already a WD red and a WD red pro. The new segment is WD red plus. So WD red plus gets the conventional CMR magnetic recording technology. The old one that actually works in a NAS as does the WD red pro. So WD red plus WD red pro are both CMR, which works great in a NAS and they continue to sell the shingled SMR drives in the NAS channel under the just WD red banner where the unsuspecting unsophisticated uh, people run aground the shoals of abysmal performance during sustained read write activity. So yeah. It, it, so the, the net of this is if you're buying for your NAS, do not buy. Uh, we're going to add, we're going to add things to our do not buy list. So do not buy Seagate iron wolf drives. Do not buy WD red drives. In fact, I think I would reverse that order. I'd put WD red at first on that list. Definitely stay away from those. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can buy WD red pro WD red plus and Seagate Exos drives. And so this, what, what WD has done, and I'm, I am not an expert on this, but this shingled, uh, magnetic recording technology, uh, overwrites, um, it, let me, let me, let me open the link here. Hang on. I want to, I want to make sure I'm reading this correctly because I don't want to miss fire here. Uh, the, oh man, what's wrong with this webpage folks make your web pages so that they work. Um, they, the, the SMR drives are not intended. Okay. SMR drives take advantage of disc write tracks being wider then read tracks to partially overlap write tracks and so enable more tracks to be written to a disk platter. This means more data can be stored on a shingled disk than an ordinary drive. So if you think about shingles, they overlap each other. The problem is SMR drives are not intended for random write IO use cases because the write performance is much slower than with a, con- a, a conventional drive. Therefore, they are not recommended for NAS use cases featuring significant 
random writes as part of the workflow. So that's the problem with these SMR drives and, and NASA's start ejecting them saying they write too slow. There's a problem with the, it thinks that there's a hardware problem with the drive because the writes are coming. They're taking too long when they're doing all these random writes all over the drive. So you do not want SMR drives in your NAS and WD red, just WD red are our SMR drives now. So get red plus red Pro, or Seagate red Pro. Mm. Red Plus, Red Pro, or Seagate Exos. Say that 10 times fast, uh, and you're good to go. So thank you for that, Kurt. That's a, that's a good heads up, man. I, I had no idea that this had happened. It's complete, completely uh, bypassed me, and I think I just lost John. I had a feeling. Things just weren't looking good, but we'll be back. It's good. I'll have John back in a jiffy here real fast. And we'll get the Facebook stream and the YouTube stream going okay. too. John's back. Excellent. So. Think video just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They know. I told them. Uh, let me uh, reset the video here. Yeah. Uh, there we go. You back? I don't know. You're back. Hang on. Uh, I don't think you're back. So I'm going to pause our audio here while we get John straightened out. Uh, okay. We are back. So, John, what were you going to say? Um... All I'm going to say is I've had good luck with the Iron Wolves, but I know you have not. So, well, and they're just expensive. You know, you'll pay their their failure. Uh, the problem with the Iron Wolves is is they're in the wrong spot in the product line. It, 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 in that they're more expensive than the Exos drives, and their mean time between failure rating or you know recommended use rating or whatever that is. Is like half that of the Exos drive. So there's there's literally no reason to use them. Yes, mm-hmm. they have that extra monitoring stuff, but I don't know about you. Like I don't ever use any of that stuff. Doesn't doesn't tell me anything that's that's relevant. I, I run my NAS drives until they start to fail mm-hmm. and then I replace them. So um yeah, those th- those yeah. Iron Wolf drives have failed. I, I don't know, maybe I, I've heard from others. I mean, I'm I'm a pretty high use NAS. Like my NAS is under, well, I don't want to say high use. I mean, I don't, I'm not running a massive corporate environment, but I, we do some stuff for work on it. And of course, my Plex library and all that. So I'm I'm probably moderate use on my NAS and those Iron Wolves just don't hold up. And I've had lots of different batches, lots of different sizes. They, they don't, they don't make it. So I don't know. Maybe it's something I'm doing, but for the price, there's no reason to pay the premium for Iron Wolf when you can get a better mm-hmm. a better drive with Exos. So, okay, okay. I'm just looking here, um, and here's a tip for everybody: when you buy a drive, register it with the vendor because I'm looking right now at the Seagate site, and according to this, I have ten of them. Okay, and I think only one of them has failed me. So. Okay. All right. Yeah. So pretty yeah. good track record. But no, um, that's not bad. Yeah. I mean, all drives will fail me. eventually, right? Like, the, oh, like yes, yes. that's just how it goes. It's, but it's when they start failing at the, you know, one to two year mark, it's like, no, 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 no. That's not, that's no bueno. No, so, I get you. I yeah. get you. Yeah. And I think I've purged all the, all the WD drives from my raid. Another okay. tip don't put WD green drives in your raid. Well, don't put any non-NAS drives in your RAID. Yeah, it's right, it's right. tempting, but yeah, the WD Greens or even the Seagate, like oh, what were those? The Barracudas. Uh, I might be remembering the model mm-hmm, wrong, mm-hmm. but whatever their their you know desktop green drives were. Mm-mm, 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 no, 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 no. 
Mm-hmm. So, yep. All right. Uh, we've got some questions. Oh, we've got actually some great stuff I want to get to. I'm, I'm glad we're, uh, we're still right. We're back on the, everything's good with all the connection between us and everything. Okay. Uh, I want to take us to our next two sponsors and then I want to get to some questions. How's that sound for you, John? Awesome. All right. Look, you know, working from home means you have more time to like enjoy having your coffee or your tea in the morning or maybe the occasional afternoon nap that we've talked about with our shortcut here. Right. To make that work. And of course, it affords us all the opportunity for our furry feline friends to walk across our keyboards in the middle of Zoom calls. I love having my cat around, but I'm going to be honest. I don't love being around the litter box. Well, this is where our sponsor, Kitty Poo Club, comes to the rescue because Kitty Poo Club is an all-in-one litter box solution designed to be super convenient for you. Every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. Now, this is, it's, it's, the box is made of cardboard. It's really high quality. It's great. But think about your cat. Your cat loves cardboard boxes. You know how I know that? Because it's a cat. My cat loved them too. My cat was climbing into this thing before we even like opened up the litter or anything. I mean, it was just because it's a box. Like every other box that arrives, the cat wants in. This is the box for the cat. It's amazing. And these boxes are leak-proof, eco-friendly, and they have a fun design for every season. When the month is up, you just recycle the box and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. So give yourself the gift that keeps on giving the whole year, a Kitty Poo Club subscription. Chevy Chase would be proud. Right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you 20% off your first order when you set up auto ship by going to kittypooclub.com and entering promo code MGG. You knew. Just go to kittypooclub.com and enter promo code MGG to get 20% off when you set up auto ship. That's kittypooclub.com. And don't forget to enter promo code MGG at checkout. Our thanks to Kitty Poo Club for sponsoring this episode. All right, look, I get it. Even in the new year, it's hard to start a new routine. But if you're one of the 34% of Americans who made a decision, a resolution to be less stressed, Headspace is here to help because Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in their easy to use app. I've been a Headspace user for years. They've really, they figured it out, right? They, they know what they're doing and it's no great surprise because they are one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So science is on their side here. They've actually leveraged it. It's awesome. Whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. And it's great. If you don't have a ton of time, they've got like a three-minute SOS meditation. you got more time. You can use that. But, you know, it's great to have all these options. You don't really have to think about it. In fact, that's sort of the point is you just go and do the meditation to clear your head, de-stress, because that's what it's for. It can help you improve your sleep, boost your focus, increasing your overall sense of well-being. Very, very cool stuff. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash MGG. That's headspace.com slash MGG for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal they're offering right now. Head to Head to headspace.com slash MGG today. Our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. All right. So my machine has been very weird today, John, as people in uh, live.macgeekup.com are aware. 
Uh, and uh, Mimo Live has crashed twice on me. But as I mentioned, even before those happened, the you know the websites that I was trying to load for that that article about about the WD Red drives was was being flaky. And I so I'm looking. I launched the console app, and uh, and I look in crash reports, and the two for Mimo Live cite uh, application specific signatures, graphics kernel error. And then I look at the WebKit content uh, things that that died this morning, and those all also say graphics kernel error. So I either have a some piece of software causing graphics problems, or I have uh, I have a you know maybe a bad like maybe the GPU on this machine is going bad. Now I will say I use this machine regularly for um you know for like studio work and audio only podcasts and so perhaps i'm not pushing the gpu as hard when doing those things but i don't get these crashes or weird little hiccups other than when memo live is running but i'm i'm not yet convinced that it's a memo live problem i'm I'm hmm. it, right it might just be that memo live is heating up the gpu and therefore causing you know some uh some issues so it's possible yeah you know gpus are things that go bad on computers from time to time and uh maybe mine is yeah i'm looking at my crash reports and there are none for memo live on my end so <clears throat> well i mean you would know if memo live had crashed mm-hmm. it would they the app would quit right like Right. So, yeah, no, these aren't problems on your end. This is this is definitely here. I'm looking I'm looking at other things. No, just that's it. Um looking back through. So Evernote Spotlight, which is an Evernote process, seems to be crashing all the time on my computer, which is yet another thing to worry about. But um all right. So, well, let's see. On 118, when was 118? What was what was the date for 118? We uh let's see. What was the the eighteenth was Monday, so Monday at just before two p.m. I have a WebKit graphic graphics kernel error thing, uh, so okay, maybe this isn't because I'm almost certain I wouldn't have had Mimo Live running on Monday, so that's interesting, not good, interesting, just interesting, right? Because I came up here at at 2 p.m. to record gig gab. So, hmm, interesting. So, yeah, something about graphics on here. Uh, Alex has said, uh, I would not suspect the GPU, but um, but you could install SMC fan control and bring the fans up a notch. Well, so that's the interesting thing, right? Is I'm using, uh, I'm not, I'm not controlling the fans, but I am keeping the CPU from going into turbo mode when uh, Mimo Live is running, because otherwise you would hear my fans all the time. So I'm wondering if the GPU is overheating because the CPU fan isn't running, right? Like, is it? I don't know. Like these are hmm. just these are the thoughts that I have. Um, yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to quit Turbo Boost Switcher Pro 
and let the fans heat up and let's see if we get a more stable scenario going forward. I also had, I had an interesting thing going on too, which um, we'll, we'll share, but anyway, uh, yeah. All right. Well, we've got, um, actually, I don't even know where we are time-wise, but we've got a couple of questions that we're going to go through today for sure. So what is, uh, Alex is saying, run Etri check. It reports a lot of things that we often forget about. Uh, so your GPU thing could be heat related, hence increase the fans up a bit to analyze if symptoms disappear. Well, I think you can hear the fans running when I talk now or reset the SMC. Yeah, that's probably, I would say an SMC reset is, is definitely in my future. So you get to hear the fans in the background, which are cranking. Yeah. I hate that. That's why we run turbo boost switcher pro. Ah, yes, that's right. If you want to crack your fans or now we can at least tell you if we hear your fans. Oh, I can tell you, I hear my fans. <laughs> when I talk and the noise gate opens, there's, there go the fans. Um, speaking of what we hear, Elliot has a question for us, John. And Elliot says, uh, let's see, where are we here? He's, oh, he was asking about headphone safety. He says, uh, it's new in iOS 14, but have you come across the iPhone's headphone notifications that warn you if you have been listening to loud headphone audio for long enough to affect your hearing? Not only do they give you warning notifications, uh, but sometimes, at least for him, he can't turn this off. So what he's talking about here is if you go in on your iPhone to settings, uh, where is it? Sound and haptics. I know I'm going to find it somewhere there to settings, sound and haptics, headphone safety. And there are, there is, there are two for me, there are two controllable switches here. One is for headphone notifications and one is for reduce loud sounds. Uh, headphone notifications for me, I have it on and it tells me that in the last six months I've had zero events where the iPhone has decided that I am playing things too loud in my headphones. And then below that, there is reduce loud sounds, which can be on or off. I opt to have mine off because it it um, it, it was causing weird things with some headphones that I was testing. But uh, but you can tell it to reduce the sounds that are coming out of your headphones. Uh, and once you turn it on, you can set a decibel level. So Elliot has been complaining that he can't turn this off and it seems to be a localized thing. I've heard reports. And so this is where I'm, I'm looking at you, the audience. Um, I've heard reports that in the EU, that is the case. I believe Elliot, though, is in Massachusetts, John. So unless his phone thinks he's in the EU, uh, this shouldn't be happening to my knowledge. Uh, but we'll we'll see. OK, yeah. So Petter Hall in the in the chat room is saying that headphone warnings are mandatory in the EU. Now, here's the question I have for those of you in the EU, because what Elliot has found his problem was he was getting headphone warnings because when he's in his car, he connects to his his Bluetooth in the car and he has found wisely and correctly that he should have his iPhone's volume cranked for the Bluetooth connection and then attenuate the volume coming out of his car speakers with the volume knob in the car. And that is the right way to do it. You, when you're you're building what's called gain structure, you want to have as little you want to have as much signal uh, in the chain as possible so that you get less noise, right? The, the lower the signal volume is, the louder the effective noise in the channel will sound. And so by cranking his iPhone volume, he's turning up the gain early in the channel, and, and that's the right way to do it. Uh, 
But by doing that, he's triggering these headphone warnings and then it's kicking in this thing and making it so he can't hear in his car. However, he found a workaround. I don't see this workaround on my phone, though. Uh, and the workaround is to go into settings and Bluetooth. And for him, he chooses his car and hits the little taps, the little eye next to it. And there he says um, that he has found uh, what does it say? He can set he's found a device type drop down that I do not see on my phone. And he says, I was able to change the device from headphone, which is checked by default to car stereo. So now it knows and it will no longer count those towards my volume limits. He says there are other non-headphone choices for him as well. So I'm not seeing that on my phone, uh, John. And I, I don't know if you are on yours, but I think I think for whatever reason, I think Elliot's phone thinks he's in the EU. Now, maybe Elliot is in the EU and my interpretation of him being in Massachusetts is wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, are you seeing that in your in your thing there, John? I they are both off on. Headphone notifications and reduced loud sounds are both off on my phone. OK. OK. And if you go into settings, Bluetooth and tap the eye next to one of your Bluetooth connected things like a set of headphones or 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 I don't know if you use your car with Bluetooth. But um, if you tap the eye next to it, do you get a device type drop down there? No. Hmm. OK, so I so think I have this the Plantronics earbuds. Great. And yeah, when I click on that, it just says forget this device and. Pokemon Go, that's obvious that <laughs> that doesn't count. No. Well, but it does like in, in a sense it does. So mm -hmm. yeah, okay. So you're not getting that 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 drop down for to right. change that. Okay, neither am I. So I think Elliot's phone came from the EU. Now, whether Elliot is in the EU or not um remains to be seen. But that's a really so for those of you that are though, this is a really important thing, is to go into Bluetooth and classify your devices as accurately so that it knows that your car is not a set of headphones and that way uh mm -hmm. you know you're you're good to go my guess is it tries to guess this correctly but he in his car is using one of those anchor rove things the uh to you know to link it all together because his car doesn't natively have bluetooth i guess and therefore maybe it's not maybe you know however the phone negotiates with it it's not getting a thing that says oh yes this is toyota we're good to go you know that sort of thing so yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Cool. All right. Well, headphone safety. I mean, it's a good thing that Apple's doing, uh, but, but important to note mm -hmm. that, you know, controlling that the right way is, is also helpful. So yeah, cool. All right. Yeah. We good. I have no idea yeah. how, how much time we've spent here today. Um, uh, actually I probably could figure it out. So we were at 46 minutes. So now we're just coming up on an hour. I think is what, um, mm -hmm. is what we're at. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's keep, we've got time. So let's keep trucking here. Uh, listener, David, John asks a question that, that seems to come up often. And I understand why he says, uh, your recent discussion of the uh, Internet of Things IoT products that you found at CES had me fuming a bit because one aspect of these devices that isn't mentioned enough is their reliance on the 2.4 gigahertz band. And by reliance, I mean they will only work on that band 
and we'll still, they will work only on that band, but we'll still try to connect to five gigahertz, but simply won't work. I like most people uh, have a single SSID for both bands and let the devices figure it out. However, this causes all kinds of problems with IOT devices. For example, he says, I have a simply safe video doorbell bulbs, irrigation system printers that all require and will only work properly on a 2.4 gigahertz band. This gets vastly frustrating because they, the devices can and will connect to the five gigahertz band, but won't work at all for, or uh, some of the devices not reliably. This has forced me to create a separate band just for internet of things devices. Thankfully I have a ubiquity setup and can do that with multiple networks and set one as only 2.4. Uh, this eliminates these uh, benefits of letting the devices decide, but I have not had problems. This is extremely pr frustrating. Uh, what's going on here? Okay, so I, I grok the frustration, and I totally understand why the easy the, the presumption, the conclusion is that the devices are trying to connect to the five gigahertz and failing. That is not what's happening, at least not the way you think. Um, because let's get one thing straight. If an IOT device has a 2.4 gigahertz radio in it, it cannot see anything on another band like five gigahertz or six gigahertz or 900 megahertz, right? The 2.4 gigahertz radio sees 2.4 gigahertz, right? Am I right on this, John? Am I like, I'm, like I'm not making this up, right? Um, as far as I know that, uh... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, how could it? If, how? I mean, the antenna is not tuned for five gigahertz. It's tuned for 2.4. Okay, right. Okay, so we're, we, we're coming at this, I think, the right way. Mm -hmm. So, but the question is, why is it getting confused? And the answer, I think, is software, not hardware. And more specifically, it's the software on your iPhone, not the software on the device, or at least the way that it's all put together. Here's, let, let me explain a scenario. When you set up an IoT device for your Wi-Fi, there needs to be a process by which you can tell your IoT device which Wi-Fi network it should connect to, right? And so to do that, we first connect our phones to the device. Oftentimes, it's with like Bluetooth LE uh, or some devices broadcast their own Wi-Fi network and you connect your phone to that, pass along some data to it, and then over it goes. Okay, uh, that all checks out. So the question is, what data are we passing along? And this, I think, is where the confusion and problems exist, because the presumption would be that the software on our iPhone is passing along the SSID and password. So network name and password. And because that way, the device would know what network it wants to connect to and, and you know, how to connect, what encryption and, and what the, the key is. And if your 2.4 and 5 gigahertz are the same. It doesn't matter because you're good to go. And 100% of that is true. If the devices pass along the SSID and then the encryption, uh, it will work just fine. Just like if I tell you my network name and password, you choose it. I'm not telling you only connect to 2.4 or only connect to 5. I'm telling you connect to my network using my SSID and here's the password to use, right? And as long as that data is correct, then you'll connect whether your device chooses to connect to 2.4 or five is up to you or up to it. No problem. Okay. But the problem is that some software doesn't pass along the SSID and password. It passes along the BSSID or the Mac address of the radio that the iPhone is currently connected to. And then the password. And that's where the problems begin because each radio 
in your router or access point for a mesh network has a different MAC address. You know, if you've got a, a dual band router, let's let's make it real simple. You know, forget about mesh, although it's the same. It's just scales up. But if you've got a dual band router, right, your 2.4 gigahertz radio is a different radio from your five gigahertz radio. And they each have their own separate MAC address. The numbers are often close, but they are not the same, right? Is that, have you found that to be true, John? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if I'm, if my phone is connected to the five gigahertz radio and it passes along that Mac address to the IOT device, the IOT device takes it and says, great, this is the Mac address I'm supposed to connect to. And then it can't because the, it doesn't have that in there, right? It doesn't have the capability to connect to that radio. And so it fails. So there are lots of creative ways for getting around this, but the problem is that whatever reason, the software on the device or the way the, the, the software on your iPhone, or maybe it's that the hardware that these folks are sourcing for their devices aren't smart enough or don't have enough Ram in their, in their, you know, or, uh, in their, you know, firmware or whatever it is to, to be able to negotiate with an SSID, they, they, they do it you know, more dumbly down to the Mac address <laughs> and, and you have no way of passing this Mac address along. If, if they would just let me type in the Mac address and say, yeah, this is the radio I want you to connect to. It'd be fine, but they're not, they're trying to be, you know, they're trying to be smooth about it and it fails. And so it, I think of this as a lazy approach. It might be a cost savings approach, uh, but it, it certainly causes a lot of headaches and the creative ways of getting around it are like what, what David did creating a, a 2.4 gigahertz only network. Most of us don't have the luxury of being able to do that on our routers. Our routers don't expose that even though they're all capable of it because our, if our routers can create a guest network, they could create a separate 2.4 gigahertz network. It's literally the same thing. It's multiple SSIDs on the same, uh, radio. Uh, but we don't get that option. If folks like Eero added that turn off five gigahertz for 15 minutes setting. And that's exactly for this so that your mm-hmm. iPhone connects to the 2.4. Now it passes that along and now you're good to go. Cause your iPhone can go back to five gigahertz. Your IOT device won't know about five gigahertz cause you can't see it and you're good to go. So the other, you know, the, the initial solution that I remember, you know, hearing about with folks is getting far away from your uh, base station so that your phone has to drop down to 2.4 and not go to five and then quickly do the, you know, do the thing there so that it passes along the right Mac address. Anyway, that's, that's what's going on here near as I can tell. Uh, do you have anything, am I, anything to add, John? Um, you know, I mean, they could put a five gigahertz radio in there, but yeah, yeah well, they, I think it's a cost issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, most, a lot of the devices that I talked about last week, I explicitly, you know, mentioned ones that have both radios because, uh, you, you avoid the, the, you should be able to avoid this problem if, if it has both radios, but no, I suspect that you, you and I were chatting before uh, it, it's gotta be a cost issue. Right. Well, right. it might it might be a battery or power issue too, but I mean, probably all starts with cost. But I I think, as I understand it, I think a two point four gigahertz radio will take up less power than a dual radio in a in a device. I, I mean, I could be wrong about that, but uh, but you know, the reality is most IoT devices don't probably shouldn't be using five gigahertz, right? In 
in that you get better range from 2.4. Most IOT traffic mm. is very, very low bandwidth. I mean, if it's like turn on a light, well, okay. I mean, that's a, you know, that's a packet and you're done mm-hmm. it, cameras, which I think you were, is what you were talking about last week. Like those for sure. You, you know, I would think five would be better because you get, you know, the potential for more bandwidth, but yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yep. That's the, uh, that's the trick. So anyway, hopefully I know we've talked about this before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again, but yeah, there you go. Thoughts, anything, uh, or you want to take us to Walt, John? I'm going to take us to Walt. Great. So I learned something. Um, and here's Walt's question. I have a 2016 15 inch MacBook pro fully updated to big Sur. I realize I cannot launch Parallels to uninstall Windows or Parallels itself. Any suggestions on how I can do that? Uh, my one terabyte drive is too full now uh, with only 209 gigabytes available. Um, that doesn't sound too bad. I think I got about 300 free on, on mine. Um, so I have not actually run Parallels um, since I upgraded my. Uh, macbook pro to uh big sir dave so you know to look into this problem here i tried launching it and hey i got this really cool message parallels desktop cannot be started because some of the required components are missing from the operating system of your mac what version of parallels Um, were you running not (laughs) not a terribly helpful um I mean, at least there wasn't a numeric error code, but still. So that's so but we, yeah, but what, said I, I can't launch. What version of Parallels were you running? 15. That's the problem. You're not on the latest version of Parallels. That's not the problem. Well, I'll tell you what the problem is. No, no, no. That is so, that is the problem. You can make the earlier version of Parallels work, but it's not built for Big Sur. You need Parallels 16 because the whole system kernel extension infrastructure changed with with parallel with with big sur and so yes correct okay can i yeah go ahead sorry continue help me solve the problem check this solution so it gives you a url that goes to the parallels website and it says um here's how you solve this problem um you can get parallel 16 but parallels 15 also works dave here's what you got to do you got to download the latest 15 installer. Then you can launch Parallels 15 on Big Sur, which I was able to do. Now, I think what, what happens is they up, the latest installer um, updates, uh, updates it. And I, when I first launched Parallels 15 on my Big Sur machine, it said, oh, system extension updated. A program, a program has updated the system extension signed by Parallels, blah, blah, blah. To finish this update, you must approve it and secure it. So that fixed my issue with not being in the launch Parallels on sure. my Big Sur machine. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So Parallels 15 or 16 will run on Big Sur. Yep. But you need the new extension um, format to make the, to make correct. 15 work. Got it. Okay, good. All right, great. Okay. Um, the bad news is he is on, uh, what version did he say he had? I think he said he had 11. Yeah, that's not good. Yes. Yeah. So he had a really old version. So Dave, in that case, this is what I would suggest. 
Um, why did I uh, fully update? I realized I can launch parallel standards on Windows parallel. Everything all right there? All right. Um, okay. Yeah. All right. So, so here's what I think he could do. So, if he's running a later version, I don't know why I was under the impression he was running eleven. I, I don't see that in his email. Oh, okay. So, Got it. Okay. Uh, but here's what I would do in any case. Um, if you want to get rid of it, so the the program it's if if you want to get rid of parallels, um, here's what I would do. Uh, you could just throw it away, but it, the, the parallels itself is not taking up your space. Here's what's taking up all your space, Dave. It's um, it's probably your VM file. Right. Um, so two things I would suggest. So one, I would suggest if you do want, if you want to get rid of parallels uh, to save space, I would recommend using something like App Cleaner because it will get rid of the app itself, but all, all the you know little little support files and other stuff that's buried in the system. Uh, the second thing you can do is, so where's the VM file stored? You may ask. Now you could either, uh, access it from within parallels and delete it, or the, uh, VM file is in your home directory and your parallels directory. And it's a PVM file. Um, yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, do that. And then the second thing I would suggest if you want to free up additional space is use our pal Omni Disk Sweeper, which I've been doing every now and then. Yeah, APFS is still weird for me, Dave, with free space in that I'll delete stuff and it doesn't necessarily free up the space immediately. It just kind of bothers me. And then one of my utilities yells at me saying you got less than 15% available and um, so that's that's what I got. Yeah, yeah. No, and and I, I stand corrected. You're right. Uh, Parallels 15 is certified for for Big Sur. It, it it 16 uses their new frameworks to avoid any system extensions, but as obviously as you found it, you know, it works fine. So that's good. Um, be careful, folks, with Omni Disk Sweeper, John. When you run it, do you run it as root so that it sees everything? Yes, I sudo it. Okay. Um, and let me see. I think I gave terminal full disk access as well. You would have to. Yeah, that's I think, right. Yes. Yeah. You, it, we, I'll, I'll put right. an article in it's how, to how to sudo Omni Disk Sweeper. But, but then mm -hmm. at that point, terminal will ask for full disk access. Yeah, that's right. Um, mm -hmm. I, I recommend using Space Lens, which is inside of Clean My Mac. Oh. Only because it okay. it takes care of all of that for you and you don't have to like jump through all the hoops to, um, you know, to to do that. It, but Omni Disk Sweeper will still work fine. It just you have to make sure mm -hmm. you're not missing any of those. Like like you said, the full disk access and sudo and, and and running an app from the command line is weird. You know, I mean, it, again, it's fine, but just mm -hmm. be be aware, folks, if you're going to use that, that it will it will lie to you if you run it by default it will lie to you and it won't give you any indication that it's lying it, like it doesn't i don't think mm -hmm. may, unless they've updated it to say whoa like you gotta and they might have to be fair but um mm -hmm. but if you've got to clean my mac um then use space lens and you're good to go so yeah okay fun see we're getting through good stuff here despite all the weird little problems we had all right um doug Let's see. 
if uh, if we can get Doug's answer. He says a quick and easy one, I think, I hope. I have a 2017 iMac with a two terabyte fusion drive. There are times when my machine isn't as responsive as I'd like, like the Safari icon bouncing 10 times before opening and occasionally stuttering as I type. I restart once a week. I run Onyx every couple of weeks. The slowdowns are inconsistent and just as the mild and just at the mildly annoying stage. From what I've learned on your podcast, Fusion drives in Big Sur may not play together well. I'm thinking of swapping out my Fusion drive for a 2 terabyte SSD. Uh, my questions. Any concerns about my plans? And I currently use only about 1 terabyte of my Fusion drive, and my photo library and music are on that Fusion drive. Is there any reason to keep those files on external storage if the internal SSD is big enough to meet my needs? Uh, so the I'm going to answer question number two first, just because that's an easy one. No, there's no reason to keep it external or internal other than just space management. So if you're fine having it internal, more power to you. Yeah, absolutely. And and photos does like photos on an SSD is life changing if you've been using it on a spindle drive. I'll just uh, like crazy, crazy life changing. So highly recommend that. Um, even if it's an external SSD, that's where I have my photos as an external SSD and moving from a, again, a spindle, an external spindle to an external SSD, life-changing. Um, any concerns about your plans? No, your plans are sound. I, I, I think you'll appreciate having that full SSD versus the hybrid of the fusion drive, but I'm not quite sure. I'm not certain that it's going to solve this particular problem. Uh, Fusion drives have seen issues with iCloud drive under Catalina and Big Sur, and they aren't the most optimal thing. But I, I mean, I haven't been seeing just widespread universal issues with fusion drives and Big Sur. So I, I, something else is going on now. It could be that your fusion drive is going bad. Like if the spindle part of your fusion drive is failing, that could cause these types of symptoms and then this would would solve it. But that's not a big sur related thing. That's just a hardware potential thing. So like, I don't, I don't know. I like, I would run some diagnostics. Maybe, I don't know. What would you do, John? I, I would, I would want to know what the problem, what the, the cause of these slowdowns is before I do anything. So how would you, how would you do it? Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at Mac tracker and it says that the options for that machine were a one terabyte, 5400 rpm rotational drive nice <laughs> a one terabyte fusion drive or a 256 gig flash storage um <clears throat> yeah it'd be nice to know i mean you could run you know one of these smart utilities to see if any of the drives are uh, are failing yeah yeah um yeah, I mean something like Drive, you know, Drive DX is pretty good about that identifying when a, a drive is uh, nearing its lifespan. The, the built-in smart detection in the OS is is almost useless. Yeah, yeah, fair. I mean, if you go to Disk Utility, it'll it'll tell you the smart status, and it'll probably say, "Yeah, everything's great," but right. other things uh, do a better job of telling you it's not great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or you could, um, what else? The uh, tech tool is another one that will alert you, um, or I've had to do that for me, is that when I've plugged in a drive that is failing, it'll come up almost immediately and say, whoa, whoa, this is the smart status on this thing is, is awful. Throw it away. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, so yeah. I think fair. you'll need it. 
an extra tool to tell you which part of the system is is failing. <sighs> yeah, because it. it um, I uh, do. I want to even talk about uh, about <laughs> optimizing the. Uh, do you even want to do that? Mm. No, not on a, fu- a fusion drive yeah. optimizes itself. Yeah, no, there's right. no. Okay, there's no. There's no Apple place has for, their. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, Apple has their own strategy for for optimizing rotational drives to some extent. Right. Okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. They they do that hot file management or whatever. But the the whole fusion drive mm-hmm. thing is. I mean, it's like, yeah, we don't, we don't mess with that. No, no, no. That would be I'd probably, hopefully it, utilities wouldn't let us do that. That would be no bueno. So, all right. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, or, you know, just go ahead. Just pull, just pull them and, and yeah, upgrade to a, a, a nice fast SSD. <laughs> yeah. I just, I would, I mean, like my, you know, I, 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 you know how I am. I always approach things. If I were there, what would I do? Mm. And like, yes, yeah. replacing the fusion drive with an SSD would be great. But if that's not what's causing these slowdowns, then you need right. to solve that. Even if you're going to replace it with an SSD, which is great. Like you, we still need to solve that problem. And I hate to throw money in the wrong direction, you know? So but anyway, that's my, mm-hmm. that's them. Them's my thoughts. So all right. Um, let's go. Let's do Ari's here. We're in, we're in like geeky mode and it's, it's fine. Uh, and I think this is, this is a good diagnostic one for everyone. So uh, Ari wrote in and says that uh, I'm, I'm looking to see. Yeah. Um, my, if I've left my Mac for a while, say an hour, not just a few minutes, when I come back, uh, there is a pop-up saying I have no internet connection. It will take less than a minute, but more than say 10 or 15 seconds before I'm connected again. And the pop-up goes away. And this is on an ethernet connected Mac. So the, you know, I, my thoughts on this are, I have seen this before. Uh, I will start by saying, and it can be, you know, I would look at one of two places, John. Well, where would you go with this? Let me, before I get prattling on here, if you saw this, what would, what would your first thought be? Um, hmm. So Ethernet, we turn the computer, we wake the computer up and then Ethernet, uh, you know, there is no internet connection for the first, let's say 30 seconds. And then internet connection all good so if you saw that symptom what would you what would you do like what would where would you look first yeah (laughs) i mean i'm happy Um, to go with it if you if you've got a thought yeah no no i mean depending on the switch that you have yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully, yeah. So he says he has a, a D link. Um, no, I have a D link switch. Oh, you do. I'm sorry. Yeah, we okay. don't. Yeah, you're reading my answer, not yet. So no, no, I see. I see. Okay. Um, it's very yeah. I mean, yeah. If he has. Forget about reading the email. It's I. I just cobbled. I. I. I summarized because this is like 15 pages of okay. Of I see. stuff. Yeah. Um, it's machine wakes up. No internet for 30 seconds. Then internet. And it's only Ethernet connected. Where do you look? 
Well, I'm going to assume he's on a switch, so I would look at the switch uh, status. Um, yeah. I mean, usually at the very least, you get some LEDs. I would just make sure that the right LEDs are on. It may be, I mean, it could be fighting with a marginal uh, Ethernet cable, and eventually it, it settles on something. If you have a switch that has any sort of smarts, um, well, either most switches, We'll have an LED that shows what the negotiated speed is. Make sure it's a gigabit and not something else. Yeah. So look at the blinking lights. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. If your switch has any, if, and if your switch has any smarts, um, check that. Now, also, depending on the machine that you're running, uh, unless you're on Big Sur, but pre-Big Sur, the, the Apple had something called network utility, right? Yeah. And that also would show you what the negotiated speed was in, right. in one of them, as well as some other interesting statistics like good packets and bad packets. That could be another thing that's happening here. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for one of the first things I would do, so uh, yeah, th th those various things to see if it's negotiating the proper speed. And at the, very, the very first thing I would do is, is try another cable. Try another cable. Yeah. No, you, that, I, I think that's, that's a, a good place to start. Yeah. It, um, you're right. that big Sur doesn't have that network utility anymore. You could still look, I think what I would do is go into system preferences, network, ethernet, click the advanced button and go all the way to the right to the hardware tab. Make sure a, that that's set to configure automatically. And then because if it's not, then there could be a weird negotiation that's failing, but clearly what's happening is the negotiation is failing in some way and then it and then it and then like all's good at least we think all is good right so it, make sure that's set to automatically and then look yes. at even when it's set to automatically the the three things below that speed duplex and mtu will auto populate once the connection is made right so you want to make sure that it's coming up right away so i would leave this screen up put the computer to sleep wait an hour, come back and then look at this screen while it's failing and see how quickly, like if the ethernet connect, you want to see if you get a hardware connection before you have a, a, I'll call it a software connection or a data connection, right? Cause this is hardware. Mm -hmm. So if it, if speed doesn't show anything, then you know that it hasn't negotiated that yet. That's bad. Right. And, and so, you know, see what's going on there. That might give you some indication, but I, you know, it could be the cable's easy. Usually the cable is easy to check if it's in your walls, maybe not as much, uh, but you know, swap out the cable. It could be try a different port on the switch to see if maybe the port on the switch has gone bad. Mm -hmm. uh, I have seen this on my 2019 iMac. I thought, and of course with potential GPU issues, maybe I do have problems, but on my, iMac here, John, if I connect, I have cables in the walls uh, down to the switch in the office. If I plug this iMac and only this iMac into the wall, it either negotiates slowly or mm, fails in a weird way. But if I plug that same Ethernet cable into the, uh, the gig E port on my OWC hub, it works immediately. So, mm -hmm. but if I plug, if I bring a switch and plug it in right next to my computer here and plug the cables in together, good to go. So is there something about 
you know, the, the Ethernet port on my iMac that's different from other iMacs or like, I don't know. Uh, so that's one, you know, one one way to test is just see what's going on, see how quickly it is. I've also noticed, and I don't think this is the issue with with the the thing Ari's working with here, because I don't think there is. I think the only switch involved is the switch in the uh, in the router. I think it's plugged directly into the the router, or the, the Xfinity gateway. But um, I know my smart D Link switch when I have loopback protection or spanning tree protocol turned on, mm. it will take up to 30 seconds before it lets data pass. It will do the hardware connection right away. Hmm. Well, it, the, because it's looking for the loops, it's looking at the traffic that's before it allows it to speak across the network. It looks at the traffic that's hmm. coming in and says, does this match any traffic I'm seeing anywhere else? If it does, I know I have hmm. a loop. And so it looks and eventually decides, nope, no loop. Okay. You're free to go. Uh, I can tell it to do that faster uh, in the switch, you configure it to say, is this an edge of your network, meaning connected to a single device, or is it, you know, part of the network, like connecting to another switch or a Wi-Fi access point where there might be other devices past it. And, and it, you know, it knows to look for longer with the, with the ones that are part of the mm -hmm. network. So my guess is like you though, there's a bad cable involved or a bad port involved here somewhere. Um, the weird part is usually when it's a bad cable or port and it eventually connects is that it will connect at a hundred megabits versus a thousand, you know, hundred megabit versus gig E. And he says that when doing speed tests, once it's connected, he's getting, you know, like 850 megabits per second or something. So it's definitely not connecting at a hundred, you know, <laughs> like there's no question. So I don't know. I don't know. Just one of those things could be, um, our, uh, Alex in the chat room is saying it could be a DHCP issue. There could the router could be uh, not wanting to give that device a connection for some reason. I don't know. What I mean, right? I, you know, yeah, yeah. And know. the only other thing I see here, at least on this mini. All right, so I got configure manually because I know what I'm doing. Speed 1000 base T, full duplex, jumbo, because I'm just weird that way. Sure. But then I see AVB slash EAV mode, and it's checked, and it, it seems to be working. I'm trying to figure out what that even I, I is. I think that's, mm, say that again. I think it's the energy efficient negotiation, which could be the problem here. Mm -hmm. <coughs> right? Well, you got that checkbox, maybe change whatever state it's in uncheck it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So that it's not trying to right? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. What say that? What's it, what's it say again? Mine doesn't have that. Or at least this one of mine doesn't have that. Cause this is AVB slash EAV mode. AVB EAV. What is that? Let's cool. Let's look that up quickly. At least I think I'm still on the internet here. Yeah. There you go. Uh, AVB. It's audio. No, this is audio. Oh, that's part of doing. Oh, that's for like, maybe it's for like Dante or those, those um, audio over ethernet or video over ethernet bridging systems. That's what's coming up here for me is it wants to. Yeah. Yeah. So, but again, that could be confusing the switch too. So turning that off would be a good thing. Yeah. That's not the, um, 
it's not the green mode, but it, it could be one. Like you definitely, it, most of us are not using this. So uh, you can happily turn that off. Yeah. AVB AV. Is yours on John? Your AVB AV switch? Yes. Interesting. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Cool. Oh, wait, here's what tells me this. Uh, I, I missed the uh, question mark. Uh, no, it's not. Yeah, it's a- AVB is audio. That means uh, audio visual, uh, audio video bridging. So, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Audio video bridging, common name for the set of technical standards which provide improved synchronization um, on Ethernet networks for basically used for those sorts of things. Yeah. So that would, that would be for if you're, if you're sending audio or video over ethernet, which most of us are not, even what we're doing here is not part of that AVB <laughs> thing. No, it, it, we're, we're, I mean, this is a VoIP connection. It's not like we're not sending from right. a, a, you know, a, a stage box to a mixer or something, which, which is all mm-hmm. done over ethernet nowadays, which I think is awesome. So, Okay. Well, I think we're out of time. Honestly, folks, I don't know. We may have been out of time for a little while. Uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to do the math here in my head, and I don't really have all the numbers. But uh, we're going to call it and, uh, and see where we go. Thanks for all your questions. Thanks for all your tips. Cool stuff found. Thanks for all your help in the chat room at live.macgeekab.com. It was awesome. I loved having all the interaction today. This is great. Let us know what you think, though. You know, when you're listening to this and there's all this interaction, I realize today's show was a little bit more scattered just because of the technical problems we had here. But um, but I'd love to I'd love to know. Like, do you like seeing, hearing, seeing behind the scenes? Is that too distracting? Is it? Uh, does it provide value? Does it negate value? Let us know. We love to know these things, and you know how to find us. We told you at the beginning of the show. Feedback at macgeekup.com. I know I broke the rules, but technically it's two separate recordings, John. I'm going to stitch them together. But mm-hmm. technically, it's, we're doing two separate recordings here. So, I don't know. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. You get to see us geeks think on our feet. That's what... Uh, I, I want to do more of that. It's good for us. It's good. All right. Uh, I don't know. You got anything to uh, got anything to add there, John? Nope. Okay. Okay. Well, then... Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, checking out all our sponsors. Again, babble.com, promo code MGG, OWC at maxsales.com, candidco.com slash MGG, headspace.com slash MGG, and kittypooclub, kittypooclub.com, uh, promo code MGG. Great service. Terrible name. I, I, I really think it's a bad name, but, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking that, but you said it, so. <laughs> we are in sync again, my friend. Yeah, I don't know if it's a club I'd want to belong to until I learned what it really is. Right. Case. Yeah, I had a cat. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, you'd also need a cat. Yeah, that would be. It, it would be. Well, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Let's say best if you have a cat. Certainly. Uh, but uh, yeah, terrible name. But uh, I don't know. You know, maybe we're talking about it, aren't we? Maybe it's maybe it's not so terrible after all, is it? All right. Um, yeah. That's the first rule of Kitty Poo Club. <laughs> I like it. It's good. All right, folks. Just don't make fun of pity. Kitty don't, don't, make, don't make fun. It's, it is really an awesome service. The way the box works and everything. It's great. Uh, uh, all right. Um, 
Thanks to all of our premium contributors. We will uh, have some of you to thank individually next week. And that's at MacGeekUp.com slash premium. Thanks to all of you. Thanks to uh, Cashfly for providing all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We made it, I think. It's pretty loud. Hopefully your headphone protection will kick in. I had, I guess I had that music cranked today. Uh, thanks for everything, and make sure that you are not like us, because today we definitely failed at this mission, but, but work real, real hard, and don't get caught. See you next week. Bye, John. Maynard.